You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, martyrs and moms, I'm, I'm not still sure how the two go together, but we are invited by the calendar to consider both this morning. It's Mother's Day. And it's also the Sunday after the ascension, ascension, exaudi, the Sunday where we hear Jesus say, the time comes when whoever kills you will think that he does God a service. It's amazing enough that Jesus says that there's a time coming when people will kill the Christians for being Christian. But he goes on to say that there's a time coming when they will kill you and think that that killing is a good work, a service to God. Now, this is amazing. So we have martyrs and moms, and we'll talk about both. I suppose we'll just have two sermons with an awkward transition in the middle. (laughs) That's the plan. Moms first. Uh, We go back to Eve, our first mother. But right before she was given the name Eve, I want to remember how this was. God had just expelled Adam and his wife from the Garden of Eden. They had eaten from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And they, by, by that act, they had plunged all of creation into sin. They had brought death, both physical death and spiritual death, into the world. And they themselves had already experienced spiritual death. Running and hiding from the presence of God, clothed in fig leaves, hiding in the bushes. Remember? At the sound of, the, at the sound of God coming in the garden, they hid themselves. There, Adam and his wife and the serpent. But the Lord found them. And remember, and remember how Adam spoke about his wife there to the Lord. Have you eaten from the tree, God said? And Adam says, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. You can almost hear the anger and the bitterness just dripping out of the mouth of Adam. The woman, this one that you gave to me, she gave it. I imagine, at least as I imagine the scene, that Adam couldn't couldn't bear to look at Eve and couldn't dare look at God, that he was shifting around, looking every other place with this rage. But right there, against all expectations, in the garden, the Lord God speaks kindly to Adam and Eve. Sure, there were curses. The serpent was cursed. He had to go on the ground. No longer would he have legs. The ground was cursed. It would bring forth thorns and thistles and only good food with difficulty. And hardships were handed out both to Adam that he would bring forth the fruit of the earth from the sweat of his brow and also to Eve that she would have pain and childbearing and that she would always want her husband's office. But the Lord there in the garden in the midst of the ruin of creation, in the midst of all of this death, the Lord gives a marvelous promise. The first gospel. The news God gives the news that this woman would have a child who would die to crush the head of the serpent and to destroy all the works of the devil. So God gave Adam and his wife the promise of Jesus. But they didn't know his name was going to be Jesus. There in the garden, he had a different name. His name was the seed of the woman. And then the Lord kills an animal and covers Adam and his wife with the skin, still warm. Can you imagine this? wrapped around this new hide, sticking to their bodies. And the Lord drives them out of the garden, probably for their own good, and he stations an angel with a flaming sword there to protect the the way back in. And now there, it's time for Adam to give his wife a name. 
Now, I've tried to put myself there in this situation, how it would have gone if it was up to me. Standing there in these stinky, dead animal skins, seeing the angry face of the angel stationed there to keep us from going back to the bliss of the garden, and knowing that everything around me is dying from the plants and the animals to the stars and me and my wife, and remembering how this woman is the one who handed me the fruit to eat, and I think I would have given her a much different name. Something like Tassara, which is the Hebrew word for trouble. (laughs) Or maybe, even more appropriate, Moth, the Hebrew word death. But Adam is a Christian. And he believed already this promise of God, the promise of the seed of the woman, and believing that promise, he looks at his wife and he gives her the name Eve. Life. (laughs) Because Eve, he knows, is the mother of all of the living. Now, How incredibly wonderful and fantastically beautiful Eve is her name, the crown of creation, the mother of us all, and especially the very first mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this name Eve gives us two distinct ways to rejoice in God's great gift of mothers. Remember, when Adam and Eve fell, there was a double death. There was the death of the body and the death of the soul. But the Lord sees fit to restore to us a twofold life, the life of our body, which we have a little bit now and will have in fullness in the resurrection, and also the life of the soul. And the Lord uses mothers to help Him give out these gifts. All of us have a body and this earthly life because we have moms. And I would guess that many of us, if not most of us, have spiritual life. We have faith in Jesus. Because our moms brought us to church. Because our moms sang hymns to us. Because our moms taught us the Bible stories. Because our moms brought us to be baptized. Because they passed on the faith to us. Now we don't, of course, exclude fathers from this. Either from the gift of our physical life. None of us, after all, are born of a virgin. Or our spiritual life. Dads and moms are made into one flesh and marriage to give out both of these gifts the gift of life and the gift of the Scriptures, which leads to eternal life. And we give thanks to God for both. But especially it's appropriate to remember and to give thanks to God for our moms. Now, now none of us had perfect moms. Every single mother is also a sinner. But remember how Adam looked at his wife. And, and with faith in the promise of God, he named her life, Eve, So we look at our own moms with the same eyes of faith and we give thanks to God who gives every good gift for the gift of our moms. We honor our mothers. We serve and obey our mothers. We love and we cherish our mothers. That is the Christian calling. And even if our mothers are gone from us already in heaven, we remember them and we give thanks to God for them. Remember, there's a, there's a threefold way for us to rightly remember the saints that have gone before us. This list is always good to keep in my head, and I have to 
always preach it so I can, because I always forget it. So this helps me remember too. But you can remember, there's three ways that we honor the saints that have gone before us. The first is thanksgiving. We give thanks to God for the gifts that he gave to us and to the church through those who have gone already. And so it is with our mothers. We give thanks to God for our own lives and that they taught us the faith. We are double blessed. And the second is that we have the strengthening of our faith as we remember the saints that went before us. We remember that they were sinners redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Even mothers are sinners, and so we rejoice that the blood of Jesus also covers their sins. And the third way we honor the saints is we follow their example. First, their example of faith, and then their example of love. We see the strong faith of our moms, and we see their acts of selfless selfless love, and we chase after these things ourselves, trying to copy them to live like them, to believe like them, to serve like them. Those things which are best in our moms, we want also to be best in us. All the time giving thanks to God for all of his benefits. Now maybe this is the transition, because when I told Carrie that I was going to try to preach about martyrs and moms at the same time, she said, oh, those go together really easily, because moms die for their families, and martyrs die for the faith. So... Let's talk about martyrs, (laughs) or the gift of martyrdom, and the words of Jesus when he says, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think that he does a service to God. Now, this means, at least, dear saints, this, that being a Christian is not safe. To be a witness of the words and the works of Jesus is to set ourselves against the world and the devil who comes to kill and destroy. And we've seen this in the history of the church. Now, I want to tell you the story of a young mother and martyr named Perpetua, who was martyred in Carthage in the year 204. But but before I tell you that story, I want to stop because there's a danger in considering Perpetua because we think, well, that was a long time ago. I mean, that was over 1,800 years ago. She died because she had faith in Christ, because she lived under the time in the old Roman days when the pagans were running the world. But, but things are different now. Now, this is not true. I mean, we heard, I don't know if you heard the news this morning, that there were at least 11 Christians murdered in three separate church bombings in Serbia, Indonesia, this morning. Today. Eleven more martyrs were added to the list of martyrs this very day. So the story of Perpetua is not so far away. Now, this young lady was 22 years old. She was noble. She was of royal parentage. And she had a comfortable life. She was very well educated. She she knew both Greek and Latin and could write very well in both languages. In fact, we know some of a perpetual story because she herself kept a diary when she was in prison. And by all accounts, we have the words that she wrote down as she was waiting to be martyred. She had a father and a mother, two brothers, a husband and a newborn nursing child. And she, there in Carthage, this city on the north side of Africa, had heard the gospel, had become a Christian. Now, this was a, a dangerous time to be a Christian. Now, Christianity was always illegal under the Roman Empire, but sometimes during times of persecution, it was forcibly punished to become a Christian, and this was one of those times. But Perpetua still enrolls at a catechum- as a catechumen. That means she joined the adult instruction class. She professed her faith. She said, I'm a Christian. 
And she did this together with one of her brothers. And this was illegal to join the church. And so she was arrested and thrown in jail. Now, we, we know how she wrote of this, and we can still read it. She says that the first imprisonment, she said she had never experienced such a deep darkness and heat. She was pressed down and oppressed. But when she went to trial, the people around saw her, and maybe there was a dozen or two dozen martyrs who were with them, and they had some sympathy on them, so they let them have an easier time in prison, and that's when she was able to, to get paper and parchment and write. Also, they were, they were able to bring her nursing child to her for a little bit when she was in prison, and she was able to nurse her baby. But it's in this first imprisonment when she's in the deep darkness that she has one of her first dreams. She has a dream of a, of a bronze ladder that extended from earth to heaven, and the ladder had iron instruments, saws, swords, and knives going all the way up so that if you weren't careful, you would be cut open as you went up. And all of the martyrs were there around the base of the ladder. And you know how that is when you, you have a dream and you know you have to do something? And you don't know why, but you just know you have to do it. So it was with Perpetua. She knew that her and all of these other martyrs had to climb this ladder. But coiled around the base of the ladder was this monstrously huge serpent. And so none of the other martyrs wanted to go forward and climb this ladder. And so Perpetua herself went first. And she went up to the serpent and stepped on its head as the first ring of the ladder, the first rung of the ladder, and then climbed the ladder. She told her brother about the dream the next day, and in fact, the other martyrs in prison, and they were all strengthened because of it, because they knew they had to step themselves on the head of the serpent to climb the ladder of martyrdom. So she goes to her trial, and while we don't hear of her testimony before the judge who was trying her, they, you know, what they would do in the old days is they would say that if you would just say, Lord Caesar, or Caesar is Lord, and you'd offer a pinch of incense, then you'd be let set free and you could go home. We don't know how it was before the court because she tells us that her father came and entreated her and told her not to do this, to renounce her faith, to come back home to her family. But she refused. So back in prison, she has a second dream. This is, these dreams are particularly interesting. She dreams that she goes into the stadium and that instead of being a woman, a young woman like she was, she dreamed that she was a man being prepared for battle like a gladiator. And she was dressed in armor and given a, a sword. And into the arena comes another gladiator, an Egyptian. And she says that this Egyptian stood and his head was above the top of the stadium. Can you imagine, you know, a, a giant that, who was as tall as this roof? And she knew she had to fight him. So she went forward, a normal-sized man in her dream, to fight against this huge Egyptian gladiator. And he tried to hit her feet, but she was able to hit her head. And she said, I was able to buffet him without my feet on the ground. So she was floating and beating on this Egyptian until finally, and they were beating each other back and forth until she says in her journal that I put my uh, fingers together and grabbed his head and threw him to the ground and stomped him with the heel of my foot and killed him. And she woke up and said, I knew then that my fight when I went to go to die was not against, was not against the gladiators. 
It was not against the beasts, but it was against the devil himself. So the next day, they lead Perpetua and a number of other martyrs into the arena. The first men, they, they hold out there and set the leopards on them. Uh, and then after the leopards had, bald, had mauled them, the bears to destroy them. One guy they set to the back of a boar. They tied to a boar so a boar could, could gorge him to death. But that didn't work, so they had to kill him with a sword. But for Perpetua and Felicitas, they, they prepared a sort of mad or in, some sort of enraged cow. And they thought that this was particularly uh, wicked because they wanted, the, they wanted the women to be killed by a female animal. So they had this cow to kill them. And so the cow came and gorged Perpetua and Felicitas, another one of the martyrs, and Felicitas was down and about to be trampled, but Perpetua lifted her up and, and strengthened her faith. And she was, all the meanwhile, gorged by this cow, but she wasn't killed. So the beasts are put away, and the gladiators are come out to finish off the people who were still alive. And they saw that, that this woman, Perpetua, had suffered no pain as she was being gorged by this cow. So to make sure she would suffer pain... They stabbed her with a sword and then put the sword to her neck so that she died. 22 years old, a young mother, and our sister, Perpetua. Now, perhaps one of the most important parts of the story happened at the beginning. Because when she was first arrested... And, and by the way, she was baptized in prison in that second imprisonment. But back to the beginning when she was first arrested, her father came to plead for her to renounce her faith. Just say, Caesar is Lord. Just offer the pinch of incense. It's not a big deal. And her father said, don't you love us? Don't you love me, your father? Don't you love your mother, your brothers? Your husband. Don't you love your child that the Lord, or I don't think the father said that the Lord, but don't you love the child that's been given you? You're letting yourself be killed, and it would be so easy to get off. And her father was falling at her feet and weeping, trying to get her to change her mind. And Perpetua pointed to a jar that was in the corner of the room. And she said, Father, is that a jar? The father says, yes. And Perpetua says, could you call that jar by any other name? And her father says, no, it's a jar. And Perpetua says this, I can call myself nothing other than what I am. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And there's no way around it. You, dear saints, are nothing else but a Christian. You are the Lord's baptized. You are the redeemed. You are those who have been purchased with the price of the blood of Jesus. So for you to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. It is true what Jesus says, that the time will come that those who kill you will think that they do God a service. But knowing this, we don't worry. We don't fret. We believe. One of the details of Perpetua's martyrdom is this. While she was being tossed around by the cow, she found a pin to pin up her hair because it had been scattered and loose. And she said of this that it's not right for one of the Lord's brides to be seen mourning on the day of their great praise. (laughs) Think about that. So we rejoice and we believe and we know that Jesus is risen from the dead. We know that we too on the last day will be raised to newness of life and so we gladly give our life for the sake of Christ. We suffer all things like St. Paul says for the sake of knowing Him. And we live and we die not afraid but trusting in Christ and knowing that His death is our life, that His blood is our righteousness, that His suffering is our joy, and that His resurrection is our courage. May God grant it to us. May God the Holy Spirit give us faith. And may the Lord Jesus Christ give us courage, both to live and to die in His name. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.